The sermon text this morning is Joshua chapters 7 and 8. And even though we already read both chapters this morning, I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open to this portion of Scripture as we work our way through the text. We know that uh, Joshua chapters 7 and 8 follow after Israel's amazing victory over the city of Jericho, a city that seemed impossible uh, to conquer, to overtake. Yet we know that because God fought for his people and he led them in great victory, uh, and that victory was against this seemingly inconquerable city. And as a result of God's strength, those walls fell down. Israel conquered the city, but they spared Rahab and her family because of her faith, just as they promised. And after such a great victory, Joshua and all of the people of Israel believed that their next battle uh, would be just as easy and would produce the same results. We see that they were confident of yet another victory. Notice that the spies returned from Ai, and they reported to Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It actually won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. And Joshua listened to what the spies said, and he agreed with them. And so he sent only a small force against the city of Ai. And that small force, uh, rather than winning another great victory as Israel had won at Jericho, rather than winning another great victory against a seemingly easy enemy, this small force of men were were defeated by um, the inhabitants of Ai. You know, the question in Israel's mind at this point was, why did we fail? You know, it seemed like such a sure victory, such an easy battle. One commentator, and seeking to answer this question, one commentator argues that it was Israel's self-confidence that led to their failure. That, you know, after their victory over Jericho, Israel had grown proud. They had grown so proud, in fact, that they said, you know, we don't even need our whole force to go against this city. Let's just spend a few days here and uh, send a small uh, group of men to to overtake the city. It'll be easy after all. So self-confidence led to Israel's failure. Another commentator uh, believes that Israel's failure was the result of prayerlessness. Not necessarily self-confidence, but prayerlessness. You might remember that before attacking Jericho, Joshua met the commander of the Lord's army, who was the Lord himself. And Joshua, when he realized that it was the Lord himself, he fell on his face and he said, what does my Lord say to his servant? He was praying, he was worshiping. But there seems to be no record of Joshua or anyone in Israel stopping to pray before attacking Ai. It seems like they went forward without consulting God in order to discern what his will was. You know, all of these things, self-confidence and prayerlessness, they might have had some role in Israel's defeat, but actually if, if we look at chapter 7, 
the reason for Israel's failure against Ai is clear. Notice verse 1. The people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Now the devoted things were the aspects of the Canaanites' culture and religion that God knew would hinder the faith of Israel. So God commanded that Israel destroy all of the religious artifacts, all of the shrines, in order that Israel would never be tempted to use them in worship. Everything in Jericho, God said, was to to be destroyed by fire, except the precious metals, which would go into the national treasury in order to be used in the eventual construction of the temple. But we know, we know from the story, that Achan did not obey the Lord, and instead he took some of the devoted things for himself. And in, in taking these things, he became like the Canaanites. He was no longer uh, separated from the world. He was no longer holy unto God as part of the nation of Israel. But he now became like one of the Canaanites because he had their gods. He had their artifacts of worship among, uh, on himself. In fact, that phrase in verse 1, Israel broke faith, that phrase can be translated, uh, Israel acted unfaithfully. Israel acted unfaithfully. It's the same term used to describe a spouse's unfaithfulness in marriage when adultery takes place. Right? In that situation, one spouse acts unfaithfully toward the other one by going outside of the covenant of marriage. Well, when, when Achan sinned, he broke covenant with God. And here, we note the first point in the sermon outline. We note that our sin cannot be hidden. Our sin cannot be hidden. As readers, we are told what happened right at the beginning of the chapter. So you and I, you know, we can make sense of why Israel failed against Ai. We're told in verse 1 that Achan took of the devoted things. But Joshua and the rest of Israel uh, didn't know this until much later. In fact, we read that when Joshua found out about Israel's defeat, he tore his clothes, verse 6, and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Right? These are signs of, of mourning, of sadness, of, of eagerly seeking after what happened and what was the cause of their defeat. Continuing on in verse 7, And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? You, know, you can hear in Joshua's words as he's trying to process and reason through this situation in prayer. And God graciously responded to Joshua, 
explaining the reason for Israel's defeat. Verses, beginning of verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them, and they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. What we see here, friends, is that our sin cannot be hidden. God sees all things. You can imagine that Achan thought that he had got, gotten away with his sin. He took the devoted things, and what did he do? He buried them in his tent. And in doing so, he thought that he had gotten away with his sin because as he was uh, pocketing the items, nothing happened. You know, fire uh, didn't come down from heaven at that very moment to consume him. He didn't fall down and die. And then after he buried the items under his tent, everything still seemed okay. There was still no fire from heaven. He still didn't fall down and die. And so you can imagine that he believed that he had gotten away with what he did. And he thought that, that by hiding what he took, no one would ever know. But God knew. Now, there are many connections, as was pointed out in the first reading, between this account and the account of Adam and Eve's sin. Look, look what Achan said when he finally admitted his guilt, beginning at verse 21. He said, When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Notice the verbs, I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. And now listen to the account of the first sin in Eden, and, and listen for the same verbs. Genesis chapter 3, beginning of verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired, this is an aspect of coveting, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, both Adam and Achan thought that they could escape the consequences of sin by hiding. But we know that it's impossible. It's impossible to hide anything from God. He sees and he knows all things. The author of Psalm 94, he describes a violent people who were persecuting believers in his time. They were hurting those who trusted in God. They were mocking 
believers. They were even going so far as to kill them. And you know what these wicked persecutors say, said? Uh, Psalm 94, verse 7. The Lord does not see. The God of Jacob isn't paying attention to what we're doing. That's what these evil doers were saying about God. God does not see and he does not care about what we are doing. But the psalmist responded, verse 9 says, Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? The Lord knows all human plans. He knows the thoughts of man. See, loved ones, there is no sinful thought that has crossed anyone's mind in the history of the world that God is not aware of it. There's never been a sinful word spoken that God does not know about. God is aware of every sinful deed ever committed since the beginning of the world. And from the beginning of the world, people have tried to hide their sin, to deny that God knows, but our sin cannot be hidden. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 13. And to emphasize this point, see in our text this morning, that Achan was singled out by the casting of lots. He was singled out by God by the casting of lots. Now, lots were sticks with markings. Sometimes they were stones with certain symbols. And, you know, like we use dice today, children, when we play uh, board games, uh, these lots were cast, and when they landed, their results were interpreted. Now, the Bible says that even something as seemingly random as throwing dice, even something as seemingly random as that is actually providentially governed by God. I like the translation of uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 13, in one Bible translation, it reads, We may throw the, dr- throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. And so, in Joshua chapter, s- in chapter 7, the fact that Achan was identified by Lot underscored the fact that God knew who had sinned. Nothing is hidden from his sight. That It underscores the fact that he was in sovereign control over the situation. Every time the lot was cast, we see in Joshua chapter 7, the net got tighter and tighter as it zeroed in on Achan. See, friends, we cannot hide anything from God. And this is why the Bible exhorts us not to try to hide our sin from God but instead to confess our sins to him. Achan had so many opportunities to repent, so many opportunities to confess his sin. We see that the fact that he repented only when he got caught seems to indicate that his repentance wasn't genuine. He waited until it was obvious that he was guilty, until he was cornered. And then he admitted his sin. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, what sin are you trying to hide 
from God. Do you actually think he doesn't know? You know, sins, the Bible says, sins that remain hidden, that we are unwilling to confess and repent of, those sins will continue to hinder our relationship with God. They will hinder us in, in our spiritual battle like they hindered Israel in its physical battle against AI. See, rather than trying to hide like Adam and like Achan, God teaches us to come to him in prayers of repentance and prayers of confession, just as we do every Sunday in the worship service. But we're exhorted in the Bible and even in, in our confession of faith not to wait until Sunday, but to go before the Lord daily in repenting of our sins and asking for his forgiveness. The assurance we have is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we learn in our text from Joshua that our sin cannot be hidden. And we also learn, secondly, that our sin affects us and others. It affects us and others. The Bible very, very clearly teaches us that the decisions we make, the way that we think, uh, the actions that, that we take affect us and others. You know, we live together in our families and even our church as a family of God. We are all in relationship in some way with one another. And so our thoughts, our words, our deeds affect not just us, but they affect others as well, those whom we are in relationship with. For Achan, we see clearly how his sin affected him. It led to his death by stoning. And even, we read, his body was then burned. This was a sign of God's judgment against him. You know, the way that, that Israel dealt with Achan, we read the story and it sounds harsh. And it sounds cruel. But God is teaching us here in Joshua chapter 7, he's teaching us how to deal with our sin. He's teaching us not to coddle it, uh, not to try to excuse it or to try to hide it, but he's teaching us that when it comes to our sin, we are to expose it and kill it. The Bible, you know, when we talk about sin, the Bible uses very violent language when it talks about how we must deal with the remaining sin in our lives. We are, the Bible says, to fight against it. We are to run from it. We are to hate it. We are to kill it. The Bible says that sin is our enemy. And John Owen noted that we need, therefore, to be killing sin, or sin will be killing us. Achan's sin affected him. It led to his death. But we see that it also affected his family. It affected his family because, as we note in Joshua chapter 7, his family also suffered the consequences for his sin as they were also put to death. God said to Joshua in verse 15 that he who has taken 
with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Why would, why would God command that his family suffer the same fate? Well, it might be because his family was aware of what Achan did and maybe even helped him hide the devoted things. So when the sin was exposed, uh, God then wanted to send a strong message about the seriousness of this sin to Israel. It's possible, it's possible that Achan's family knew about their father's sin. You know, it's not like Achan lived in like a 10-bedroom house where he had plenty of room to hide uh, the devoted things that he had taken. No, he, he lived in a small tent with his family. And for Achan, it would have been uh, difficult to hide these things from his family. But, you know, we cannot be sure about their guilt because the text doesn't point that out. But what we do know, loved ones, is that Achan was the federal head of his family. That as the father, he was the representative of his family. And his decisions, therefore, affected his whole family. Just like Adam's decision to sin affected all those who descended from him, Achan's decision also affected his descendants. And just as Adam's sin brought death to his family, Achan's sin also brought death to his family. Dads, I want to ask you this morning, do you realize how your sin affects your families? And today being Father's Day, it's a, it's a good time for us as fathers to reflect on the important spiritual role that we have in our families, a role that has been given to us by God. Our sin, fathers, affects our families. You know, we might think that we're hiding it. We might think that what our wives and our children don't know about actually won't ever hurt them, but it will. And the effects might not seem as overt as what happened with Achan's family, but the effects are still there. You know, I was reflecting upon it this week that many of us as, as dads, we are prepared to protect our families against violent attacks. Right? Uh, we, uh, for example, might have weapons in our homes to protect our families from intruders. Maybe when you buy a new family car, you read about the safety ratings to make sure that your family is as protected as possible. You may even enroll your kids in self-defense classes to make sure that they're protected and they can protect themselves against bad people. You know, all these things are fine. All these things are, are good. But fathers, let us not neglect the spiritual danger that we ourselves pose to our families if we live in unrepentant sin. We see in our text that Achan's sin affected him it affected his family, and it also affected his church. It affected Israel. It was, it was because of Achan's sin that Israel lost the battle of Ai, and, and 36 of Israel's men died. And it's surprising to us, isn't it? 
I, I realized again this week for the first time uh, a new thing in, in studying this text of how ordinary Achan seemed among Israel. You know, he wasn't a, a leader like Joshua. Uh, he wasn't one of the elders of Israel. Uh, he was just one man among thousands of men in Israel. But his sin still affected the whole church. And so all of us, all of God's people, have this same effect in the church today. You know, as a church, we tend to overemphasize the importance of a, of a personal relationship with Jesus, is, as I've noted before about the church uh, today. There's this emphasis, especially in America, about having a personal relationship with Christ. But, you know, Scripture emphasizes that our relationship with Jesus is revealed in our relationship with his church, with our brothers and sisters as we come together to worship the Lord and to fellowship together. And so my sin cannot be isolated from you. And your sin cannot be isolated from me. There is corporate implications. There are corporate implications for our sin. And this is why in the New Testament, uh, we don't carry out a civil penalty for sins like Achan's. We don't put uh, people to death for such sins anymore. But we do excommunicate those who live in unrepentant sin. Excommunication, we know, is, is a part of church discipline that involves removing a church member from our roles. And in excommunication, we declare that that person is living as an unbeliever. We believe, then, that those who are excommunicated are placed outside the bounds of the church, and, and therefore they have no hope of being saved unless they repent of their sin. And we do this according to what the Bible teaches. Because the Bible teaches us and it warns us that sin is like yeast that works its way and it, through the dough and infects the whole thing. It's the same with the church. Right? Sin in the church that is left unchecked can bring disaster. And so excommunication is meant to glorify God. It's meant to protect his church, and it's ultimately meant to draw sinners back to God. It's, a, it's like a wake-up call designed by God to cause people to feel the urgency and the need to repent. But even, loved ones, as we think about how our sin affects ourselves, our family, and, and our church, because, as I said, we are connected together as a family, there's also a very positive side to this. Because our holiness also has a strong effect. Our holiness also has a strong effect. When we are obedient to the Lord, when we seek his ways and we strive to do his will, we will be blessed. Our families will be blessed and our church will be blessed. We see this displayed so clearly in Joshua chapter 8. Once Israel obeyed God, by rooting out the sin in their midst, they were victorious against Ai. And, and the Lord said to Joshua in chapter 8, verse 18, he said, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, and I will give it into your hand. See, Israel's obedience was also 
revealed in then their renewal of the covenant, the covenant that they had broken with God that was then restored. Thirdly, we see in these chapters before us that our sin must be dealt with. Our sin must be dealt with. As we noted, God sees our sin. Everything is laid bare before him. Uh, Nothing, nothing is hidden from him that will not be brought into the light. Achan's story, it shows us how one man's sin brought death to him and to his family and to the nation. The Achan's disobedience led to condemnation and judgment. As the federal head of his family, he led his family toward ruin and destruction. Just like Adam, whose disobedience led to sin and condemnation for all people. But loved ones, the good news of the gospel is that you and I have a federal head. We have a representative who is not like Achan, who is not like Adam, but who was perfectly obedient who, uh, rather than sinning against God, our representative, the Lord Jesus Christ, perfectly obeyed. So that all those who are in Christ are united to the one who brings blessing and not curse upon those who are united to him. We read in Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 18, how the Apostle Paul compares Adam and Christ. He says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. Paul says there, Adam brought death by his sin. Christ brought life by his obedience. See, the good news of the gospel is that for those who trust in Christ, our sin has been dealt with in the most decisive way. It was placed upon Christ on the cross, so there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As we think about Joshua chapter 7 and 8, there's a, there's a further connection that we can make between these chapters in Joshua and Christ. And so note that, that Christ, like the king of Ai, was hung on a tree. Now the king of Ai, he, he was hung on a tree because he was cursed by God. He was unwillingly hung on a tree for his disobedience. But Christ, loved ones, was willingly hung on a tree for his obedience. Christ willingly submitted himself to crucifixion in order to bear God's wrath for sin for his people. What we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, that Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Knowing this, Loved ones, let us renew our covenant with God. Let us renew our covenant that 
we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Let us renew our covenant with God, especially renewing our desire to fight against the remaining sin in our lives. See, God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and who has forgiven our sins. And our reply to that is all praise and all glory be to him. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we acknowledge that we need your grace every moment of every day. Lord, we acknowledge how we fall short of your glory and how we are completely dependent upon the work of your Spirit in our hearts, causing us to mortify sin and to bring to life those things that you desire and that please you. We pray, Lord, that when we do sin, that you would keep your hand heavy upon us until we repent. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds, and that many, Lord, would come to faith as they think about Christ and the wonders of all that he did to accomplish our salvation. We pray these things in his name. Amen.